Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by the Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once-a-month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the impact collaborative. Again, that's info at real hyphen leaders.com. Enjoy the show. So Lily, what do you say? How about we do it? Sounds good. Super okay. excited. Okay, let's do it. I'm excited. You're excited. The fans are excited. And here we go. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is the co-founder of MIA, Lily Greca. Lily, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I feel truly blessed and honored. I'm blessed to have you on. Now you are, or I guess MIA is, a Real Leaders Impact Awards winner. That's why we're having this conversation. So I guess the first question I have for you today is <laughs> what does impact mean to you? Um, what impact means to me is, is, I guess, doing something that has a, a positive effect on something else. So whether it will be people, community, or sustainable planet, or whatever initiative it, that you have, it's a positive effect on that. And that's easier said than done sometimes. You know, what's it Absolutely. like for you know a startup or someone who is just a corporate executive? Uh, and then now sw switching to the entrepreneurial route, trying to, to to also sustain your business, make it profitable, but also deliver an impact. How hard is that? Um, the question you said is how hard is it to switch? It's not hard to switch. It's really mm -hmm. in terms of the mindset. How hard is it to be able to run a sustainable business? That's the hard part because you're when you're working for somebody else, you're only really managing a segment or a section and you're only responsible for a small wedge of a bigger pie. But when you're actually running your own business, you have to wear multiple hats and you have to manage more than just your um, your little pie that you used, you, you're used to, I guess, in the past. So the switch to change is not the hard part. It's actually learning to be able to adopt all the skills that you've learned to be able to expand to 
to now juggle so many things, I guess so many balls people can say up in the air at the one time to make sure that some don't fall below what you are wanting it to be. So mm. that's the that's the challenging part. Kevin. And it, it's definitely a mental thing too. Like if you're gonna start a new sport, a new hobby, um, if if you want to do something and make a change in your life, you really have to prepare yourself mentally uh, for the obstacles that kind of come in that way. Take us to that inception point when you were working uh, for a corporation and how you had to prepare yourself or what forced you to jump off that cliff to go enter this journey of uh, entrepreneurism. Hmm. Um, I don't think I ever thought that I would jump per mm. se. I never had that um, that real plan, Kevin. So if I could mm. kind of share with you my secret plan that well, I kind of stumbled across when I was very young, and I think I have followed this really quite closely, and as a result, I think this is kind of what. Um, I believe has been my roadmap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I I stumbled across an amazing book by Stephen Covey um, when I was 12. Mm -hmm. And um, and then obviously it, his physical book turned into an audio book that was from the cassette tape. Uh, and then I listened to that on my way school uh, to school and back, et cetera. And, and all the principles and lessons that he's learned, I've literally tried to adopt that. And what I've realized is I've put life into three stages. And I'm going to share with you what those three stages are. So yeah. for me, I've never really thought that I'm going to work one day in in you know for someone else and then there'll be a time in the future that I'm going to switch I never had that I I've broken up into for some reason I've planned my life this way if I'm lucky enough without interruptions I'm able to live approximately 85 years right mm. so if, if all things goes well I have 85 years of my life on this earth and I've broken up into three stages. It sounds really strange, but this is how I've done it. So from birth to when I'm about 20 years old, I call that stage one. Um, and then 20 to 65, that's stage two. And then 65 plus is stage three. And for me, stage one is learning. It's intense learning. Stage two is is play, is in putting all the learning into kind of play practice. And then stage three is the reward. Um, and so I've always wanted to, to, to learn as much as I possibly can and I really wanted to be valuable. And one of the things that I got out that really stuck with me about um, Stephen Covey's theories is that have the end in mind. And so I've always had my legacy written out from a very young age and so that's kind of how it has mapped it out for me so I've I've always known what I would like to be remembered for and what I like to do and then I kind of plan backwards that, and, and I kind of broken my life into this three stages and I feel like when I'm in my you know up until I'm 20 I'm going to learn as much as I possibly can from all the people I've worked for and um, worked with 
um, and have the privilege to be able to, to, you know, to support and help. And I want to be as valuable as I possibly can wherever I touched. So mm-hmm. if I was working at one organization, I never just saw my job as my job. I wanted to be able to be valuable and to be valuable. I had to learn from other areas and other departments so that if that department goes down or needs another hand, I'm an additional resource. I'm valuable because of that. And um, that to me was what I believe stage one was. And then stage two was now I've been able to learn a a little bit from all the people I've worked with um, and worked for. I want to now be able to put some of that into practice and have a play. And it wasn't until I realized that now that I've done enough playing for other people with other people's risks, because technically if I'm working for someone else, I'm playing, but they're borning the risk, right? Interesting, yeah. Um, So when I got to that point, I was like, okay, I I think I'm ready now. And the point is that I realized that what I wanted and my journey and my legacy, this is my time to branch off. And I believe that no matter what I do and how I do it, I'm going to be okay because I also realise that um, I'm, I'm only as good as the people I'm, I'm surrounding. And so I have I had a really huge discipline to be able to ensure that I surround myself with people who are smarter and better than I am so I could once again learn from them and, um, and enhance my life. And, and the thing that I also realized besides the 85 years of life is that you and I start and end very similarly, right? But what we do in between that, which is the stage two, is what differentiates us from how far we get ahead of each other, right? And the other thing I also realized is that every single person is served with 24 hours in a day. We're literally given exactly the same amount. We can't ask for more and we can't take away any. So how I use my 24 hours to make the most of my 85-year-plus life is purely in my control, Mm. like completely in my control. So that's how I view life. It's liberating. And you think (laughs) about those 85 years and how much time of that is devoted to your career. I mean, if you're sleeping eight hours a day, that's 16 hours of the day you're not. And then how much of that 16 hours a day are you committed to work? So, and then it's five days a week for most people, seven maybe for you. What's the lifestyle of an entrepreneur and, and how much time are you committing toward your career right now and also i think you should also give our our audience a quick little overview of mie okay so mie is a a tiny little business that um i guess we we do we provide fresh flowers and quality gifts and hampers um that's not available through mass markets to businesses hotels and government we um we donate a hundred percent of our net profit to support Australian um, kids in education through the Smith family. And now, and now, how much of your week is dedicated to doing what you love, do, building this business up? Are you working five days a week? And, and we think about those eighty-five years right now, and your three stages of life. What percentage is committed 
to growing and building this, uh, this business to, to continue this uh, playful part of your life? Yeah. Oh, okay. So I don't, um, it's an interesting question, Kevin, because I don't, I don't cut my life in that way, in the sense that, no, I sleep eight hours, I work five hours or eight hours or 10 hours or whatever that may be, um, or I work three days, five days or seven days. To me, to answer your question, in the way that I have built my, my life today, everything is work and play. Mm-hmm. So... I, and I want to be able to create that for others. And what I mean by that is that it is a very blurred line and I cannot tell you um, exactly that answer. I, I don't have literally Lily clocks in this time, clocks out that way at that time, and I'm not available to answer your calls these days and I'm, you know, et cetera. The way that I, I work is that if I'm not physically at work, I'm still mentally working. Mm. But it's, I'm working all the time, but to me, it's not really work because it is something that I really enjoy. And um, and the reason why I enjoy it so much is because I'm problem solving for a greater cause that has no um, end, really. And so every time I feel like I am getting closer to something that's amazing, someone within our team will throw something else that's even more incredible and we'll be able to build on that. So I don't really, so what I do, what I can tell you though, Kevin, is that I love sleep and I do sleep at least a minimum of six to eight hours daily. Mm-hmm. So that I do. <laughs> well, it's great to hear that. And I think it probably uh, piqued a lot of people's interest when you're speaking about how you perceive your career and its uh, balance with your actual lifestyle. You don't think in these numbers. And for most people listening to this, Lily, uh, they're in this, what we call like the rat race, right? It's nine to five, it's eight to, to you know, 10 p.m., you know, Monday through Friday, potentially Sundays, and then they can get a sense for what percentage of time they are putting into their work and their career before let's say the age of, you said 65, when they retire. And that's about usually 40 to 44% of your life during that play stage dedicated to potentially something you don't like to do. So it's very uh, inspiring when you hear someone that comes on the show who thinks the way you do, who is always in this mental mode and has found a way to live a life of congruence because Lily, most of the time it's not learn, play, reward. It's a lot of people think it's learn, earn, return. You have to learn the business. You have to make your money and then return it back to people. Whereas you basically flip that model after 65 and you're doing it while you play. Why are you giving away a hundred percent of your net profits? And what was the thinking behind this concept? Ah, okay. This, yeah, I know this is exciting. So it started very young. So as as for as far as I could possibly remember, um, Kevin, I've always loved helping others, um, giving them whether it would be um, through 
you know, donation financially, all my time volunteering, etc. There was there's always something that I really enjoyed because I believe that I have just been really fortunate, like really fortunate in so many ways. And you know, we talk about um, luck. I think that um, I I contribute this part to luck because there's. I'm lucky to be able to be born in the family that I that, that I was born in. You know, you can't. Um, and I was born in Vietnam, and my and my father risked his life to to escape after the the war. And I was lucky that I was that I was I was born into this uh, in, into the family that I had with the parents that I had, and that my father was lucky to be able to escape, which I'm a part of the family. So then we were able to be, um, I guess, adopted into Australia some years later um where once my father have actually um settled down and settled in and i'm lucky that i i, I was i was able to actually go to australia because not a lot of people were able to do that do you know what i mean and, and you can't mm, pick and yeah. choose that to me is not a choice and i didn't i couldn't control that to make a change so then when when I saw, I guess, the hard work that my parents have done, and then I look back to where, what we've left, which is a lot of people who are not as lucky, I guess, in some sense, um, I just wanted to help them. So as young as I possibly can, that was something that was very important to me. And as I grew up, I found lots of means to be able to give back, whether it be as I was able to make my own uh, money, I would contribute a percentage always to 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 helping them. And if I was going to church and when I went to church, I would always volunteer and help out. And um, later on, as I got um, older and, and I got married, my husband and I, where we are so um, in sync in terms of how we want to be able to um, contribute to the world. Sure. And that's kind of where it streamed from in terms of that young hunger to help from from what we have, what I've seen and what I've left and how fortunate I feel in the position that I am. And um, And I just feel like if I could do it, others can and if I can do it I should help those who can't do it mm. and there is another thing that I have besides realizing everyone has 24 hours a day and, and, and 85 years plus to live I also realize there's only three meals really that people eat and you can break it up to how many ways you like to eat those three meals but there's only so much us as individuals can consume right and we can consume a limited amount of food we can only live in a limited an amount of homes and we only really need a limited number of i guess clothing to be able to sustain us and everything else is surplus mm. and but saying that though there are so many people who don't even have those things so i don't want to be able to indulge i feel like if i could have anything that's surplus I should be able to help give those who don't even have those. And, and that's kind of my thought of how we wanted to turn our model into 100% profit for charity because we are in a very uh, fortunate position. We're able to be able to have all the necessities that we need and more. And we have the, you know, we have the smarts and the intelligence and the, and the ability physically and mentally to be able to, um, to work and, and do the things that we can whilst others are, are not as lucky. 
Mm. And we want to be able to help provide them not handouts, but provide them with support so that they have the ability to believe in themselves that they could actually do and work and provide a better future for themselves and others around them. And it's incredible. Now, Lily, when you tell people this, hey, we're, we're giving away 100% of our profits to uh, these charities and the, these people, these kids in need, uh, what do the other people in the business community say to you? Is this, uh, is this eye-opening to them? Is this, uh, do, they, do they think you're going, you're going crazy? What, what is it specifically? What is the reaction from the average business person when you uh, pitch this concept to them? At the at the very start five years ago, it was so challenging. Um, and I think like anything, Kevin, in this world, anything that's new um, and early in its time, early in its kind of time of adoption is is very foreign. And it's sometimes when it's too early and too foreign, it becomes too good to be true and it can be early rejected, right? So we faced a lot of that and you're not wrong. And but I I knew that if I just got one person, it's not about an organization, it's just one person who believed in me who would give us a chance that we could prove it. And that's kind of what happened. We I had to accept a lot of rejections and I knew that. Um I'm not and and I guess all of my years in learning, um, one of the things that I have realized and learned is that nothing really has context or meaning unless I place on it. So I, so when I get a no, I'm super excited because I will learn how to, how to objectively handle for the next call that I go out there. Mm. And then so eventually, after, you know, one rejection after the other, I have learned how to handle myself so well that when I got to the big guys, the really big corporate that I really wanted to pitch to, I've put all the ejections up front. So I, I said, you must be thinking A, B, and C, or well, let me explain to you mm. about all these things. So when I did, they didn't really have any more questions to be able to challenged me on and they had to give me a go I guess either they felt bad I'm not sure but um, they 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 yeah they they were very kind to be able to give us a chance and why it, it took one person to believe in us to then adopt us to see how it worked and then when they saw the results of it that's when it was amazing that's to us was when became a became not necessarily viral, but more like, okay, this person who have shared with us a concept that just seems so odd, let's see if we're going to be taking a Mickey out of it. Mm-hmm. And when they didn't, they then shared it amongst other departments. And then those people, you see, the thing that I realised, Kevin, is that people are so well connected is one person in one corporate knows someone in another corporate who has someone in another area and that's how we grew we grew we grew pretty organically because we were able to prove um our concept and that what we believe for what we stood for we actually did fulfill and and that's one of the things that i found to be so interesting about entrepreneurship is just like it's just one little conversation leads to another which leads to another and then you look back five years from now you go gosh i never had that one conversation i don't know where we'd be right now and so you think about 
jumping off the cliff and, and the risk that it takes to do something like that. Um, it, it takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of guts, a lot of belief, a lot of persistence uh, to, to continue to pursue uh, you know, your dreams. Now, that problem is a very complex problem, whether it's hunger, whether it's poverty, there are just so many different aspects and variables that can affect and contribute to that. And sometimes entrepreneurs get too inundated with how to solve all of these different problems. Did you ever feel that way? And how did you become focused on delivering a product or service to a specific customer or client? Yes. So um, I, I don't have um, the shining star or the shining ball kind of issue. Then the way that I am able to stay focused is because the way that I think is, um, mm. I think backwards. You know how I told you that, you know, I, I, I have an end in mind and I kind of go, what do I do? And then I work myself backwards. So this is how I thought, Kevin. I'm like, I want to be able to, a bold statement, to help close the poverty gap. Kevin, I don't know what that meant. I really didn't. And then I thought to myself, there are so many ways. And I started to, you know, draw out charts and, and brainstorm and putting all these ideas in terms of how we could close the poverty gap. Like, what is that? And what does that actually mean? And we came to the fact that my husband, Rob and I, who are the other co-founder, the, the better co-founder, mm-hmm. he... Um, we're both super passionate about children and we truly believe in children's education is the pathway to helping to close that poverty gap. And the reason is because there are amazing organisations out there already who's um, supporting with the the young adults and the people who are already um, able um, the homelessness and, and, and all those amazing um, areas. For us, we wanted to be able to help um, the young children provide that equal start. You know, all of us mm. were born the same way, so we should give them that first start and, and, and give them things on a silver platter, and not on a silver platter in a way, but give them options so that they know that they have the possibilities to be able to do something instead of being crippled by their um, circumstance or their family, etc. And we believe if we could give them education, then they will be able to internally help themselves and help their family and break the poverty cycle. Mm. So if they could learn to be able to want to have the, um, I guess, the, the strive to to make it out there and, and, and be independent, then they can, they can do anything, but it starts with the education path first. I mean, health and then education. So that's how we, we thought for us, helping to close the poverty gap, we're going to put all of our efforts into that area. It's an interesting concept. And I, I think others describe it as the theory of change. Start with the problem in mind and work backward to tr- try and figure that out. It's a very, very cool mindset that you, an approach that you've taken uh, to to the business. Now, I want to go back to the investors part of this. You know, maybe this company is different. Maybe they're on to something. And one of the organizations that rings a bell to me is Patagonia. If you were to be an investor and Patagonia were to go today and say, 
we're going to build this robust supply chain, organic cotton supply chain, and invest millions and millions of dollars into our suppliers to make sure our cotton is eco-friendly. We're going to give away all of our trademarks and patents for these, uh, you know, these wetsuits and just give them away so anyone can design them. No investors would invest in them, yet their commitment to making the world a better place, to protecting the planet, to being in business, to essentially go against business has been something that people and consumers have been able to latch onto. Are you finding similar results with your customers and clients where you go to them whether it's a corporation for employee benefits or uh, flowers or gifts or things like that, and they want to work with you because you're different. Are you finding that too? Um, I don't necessarily think we haven't experienced that, Kevin, as easy as that. I don't think for us in our experience that our customers have chosen to work with us. If they did, they didn't verbally tell us. So mm. they didn't say, Guys, I, we want to work with Mie because you guys are different. They have worked with us because we have delivered something amazing for someone they know. And then the charitable part of it is the icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we have we have found that even though we service corporates, hotels, and government. And a part of them have got a corporate social responsibility to be able to implement social conscious into their supply chain. Mm. Um, I, because there are so many people involved in the procurement and in the supply chain part of it, not everybody has the same mindset to do good. Everyone that we've come across, what we have realized is that people want to work with someone who is um, easy to deal with, who is reliable. Their products that they procure from someone makes them look good. Um, and that's what we try to be because we never want to sell our business as you are being with me because we're charitable. Um, mm -hmm. Because people don't care about that first. Mm -hmm. They care about that last. That's our experience, Kevin. So it means that if we could do, I'll give you an example, right? We could deliver amazing flowers to a business. If we delivered that consistently well all the time and make that business look good and we're super easy to deal with, we would re we would retain that business mm. and the icing on the cake for that business to feel is that they are engaging with a supplier who delivers well and they are conscious about social um social causes mm. but right. if we are a supplier who do not deliver amazing flower arrangement who lets them down all the time because our flowers die and we're super hard to deal with. And when they give us feedback, we don't really care. I can tell you that they will change us very quickly. Mm. They will definitely not keep us around just because we're, we have a charitable element to our business. They will 100% replace us with a supplier who's more competent, who would make them feel better. So 
in our experience, that has been the case. We and and we are aware of the psychology and the way that um, businesses work and how they think. And as a result, we have made it a very big effort to always do the right thing. And for us in our business, doing the right thing is not just the charitable element. Doing the right thing is across the board the right thing by our customers, the right things by our own people, the right thing by our community. It's refreshing to hear, you know, many social entrepreneurs believe, you know, if I have a mission driven product, someone will choose mine over the others. But really what it comes down to from what I'm hearing, is obviously the quality. Is it a good customer serving? Is it a good product that you're delivering? Uh, do you like the people that you're working with? I mean, it's just business 101, more of a value add uh, as the, the, the philanthropy aspect of that, of that part. Now, what about the people who are manufacturing the products, the people that are picking the flowers, growing the flowers, your employees that are creating this service for you, are they attracted to your organization because of the philanthropy? Are they attracted to your organization because you're trying to do good across the board? The... The people who grow the flowers, are they attracted to our film, uh, uh, philanthropic ideas? I think they like the fact that they are supporting a business who, um, who are doing that. I think also history and media have not always provided a good light on on people who are charitable. And as a result, everyone always has a, a distance, an arm's distance from, um, from a business that says they are 100% uh, profit for charity. They always kind of think, hmm, that sounds mm. good. But, you know, are you really, you know? Okay. Um, but our suppliers today are because they have seen us, just like our clients, the first kind of few few months, first couple of years is the hardest, the most challenging because it's a proving kind of stage where you're now, you don't want to fail them because they're giving you a chance. Um, and that's the same with our suppliers. Um, they they don't really know where they should give us credit and they don't really know they should be associated with us as yet. Um, but then now I'd say that they are, they are pretty proud to be part of, um, to be a part of us. Our the people that um, we attract, I would I would say that they are definitely attracted to our vision uh, and our mission, and they really want to make sure that they dedicate their life to seeing this work. So um, yeah, and because they believe in it so much, I want to protect them to make sure that it's worthwhile for them. Yeah. It I love it. And and working in a, a small organization, it's almost like a family, but you're also on, on in just real life. You're, you're raising your own family. What's that been like during this entrepreneurial process, during a very, very difficult, you know, 2020 and into 2021 to be there uh, for, you know, your young ones and make sure that they're getting the attention that they need. What's it like? Tell our audience myself, what's it like to be in your shoes? Um, what's it like to be in my shoes? I think what I realized too, and I think I've, I may have shared earlier is I don't want, um, I don't want to ever have a very definitive line where I, right now from nine to five, I am, you know, 
lady boss and then before outside of that i am mother mm. and wife i don't want my team or our people to also have that such restrictions on their life because that's not how life is it needs to work and it needs to be fluid and i want so for for me before the pandemic I've always wanted to introduce that flexibility into life. So um, you are a mother. For me, whatever it is that you are incredibly, um, I guess, so whatever it is that you, you value a lot, whatever that may be. And for me, I'll share that with you. My biggest value in life is my family my my children and my husband and i will never just put a number of hours for them that's not mm. how it works right. for me so and maybe that's a selfish thing but that's just how i like it and i want to be able to be a very present person for them and they i will put them first and if i put them first i want my team to put their whatever it is that they value also first mm. and i need to make sure that i protect that for them so my life in the last couple of years have literally haven't been different to any other time with the exception of the the, the challenges of homeschooling but remember we're very resilient and we're very agile and we can adapt and adopt um, so we have adopted and changed um, throughout that time but i I've been a constant mother throughout my entire period before and during and even today. So what that means is that I will work with my husband and interchange on who picks up the children and who drops them off, who goes to the extracurriculum. If we can, both of us go, that's great. Um, if we need to step out during the day to be able to do any appointments for um, for ourselves or our family, we will. Um, and we communicate highly with our team that that's what they can do as long as everyone is aware of you know the tasks that they need to complete we should all help each other to achieving that because uh the success of our business or department is not from one person it's it's from the collective and if if you think that just because you're responsible for for one thing that you have to do it alone then you don't value the people around you to be able to give you support when you're, when you're, I guess, needing it. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I think I I want to be able to convey in my life. So I don't really have a definitive line. I know what I really value and I put that as the most important thing and then everything else wraps around that. I, I like it. And there's no right answer, obviously. Um, and, and I like the, the collective mindset that you have, Lily. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned something in there when you're talking about people putting on this professional shell, this finite time. What do you think that is? Just out of, just out of curiosity, like why do you think that we have built this culture where people have to be someone else for nine hours of the day and come back home and are, have to flip the switch? Why do you think we, we do that as human beings? Well, in my years, my observation is, is that people are so fixated on the title and because they are fixated on the title, they want to 
live to that title. So from before I start work, I'm, I'm a mother and I have to do what mothers or fathers do. And then when I enter my workplace, whatever time that is, I am now the director, manager, CEO, or whatever that may be in that place. And I need to, and my expectation is listed out in my job description. I need to fulfill that. And then when I switch off, I am, you know, a wife or a husband or whatever. So people are literally putting themselves, and I think in terms of the professional front that you're asking, it's I truly believe is because people um, want to live to the expectation of their job role, their, their, their title. And now being on the other side of that, having a little bit more freedom, being a founder, being the owner of the organization, what don't you like when someone reaches out to you? What What are a few things that when someone reaches out to you, what do you, what do you, I guess, I guess you probably aren't looking for something, but what aren't you looking for, I guess? I don't, that's a hard question, Kevin, because I don't think there's anything that I don't look at for. I, I never have, there are lots of things that I have expectations for, mm. That's not something that I, I have an expectation not to expect anything. Mm, right. Okay. So I'm not really not looking for anything. So I'm open to everything and anything because I believe that I have the ability to be able to problem solve out of that. And I have an incredible team who are so smart that would help me beyond my capabilities. And this is the way I see it. This is, so I see that. I'm like a cake. Do you like cakes? I like cakes. Right? I want to give the analogy of the cake. So I feel like whatever, so whatever I put out, Kevin, I am like the cake, you know, raw, just literally beautifully baked, but it has nothing else. It's just a perfectly sponge cake. I feel like that's the best that I can provide. And then my team brings in all the beautiful embellishments, which is the beautiful frosting, the amazing decorations. And so from there, it becomes incredible and everyone wants to watch it and everyone wants to eat it and everyone wants to have a part of it. But without the base, which is essential, it's just a cake. Mm. But it's the team around me that, adds to that base that makes it amazing so i that's how i see my my life but what about if you're baking the cake you got too many cooks in the kitchen you got too many things going on you got a lot of distraction all you're trying to do is just bake this cake how do you filter out the the priorities in your business ah oh, that's a, that's a great question i um and you know what? The, the funny thing is that um, that happens at home a lot. I, you know, I try to bake a cake and, you know, the kids come in and instead of two eggs, I want to crack three eggs, that kind of things. Um, so I, I love human psychology and I, I am so fascinated with how people operate and what makes them trigger and what makes them tick. And so I always stand out of the way and I look at the talent of every single person and then I give a very clear direction of what I want to achieve. And then I layer in with who can do what. Mm. And I get everyone to agree. 
and then it happens. So for instance, the baking of the cake, if I, if for the first time I try and bake a cake, I realize everyone wants to have a hand at it. I will let them, I will let them go and I will absolutely observe and watch because I will then pick out and go, oh, that person's really good at the flour and that person's really good at the eggs and gosh, that person's a little, that's, that person's loud, which means that they're a good leader. So I end up almost by watching and observing them, I almost know their strengths and weaknesses. And then on my second cake, you know, the first cake, mm, and right. I loved the experimental. That's why I love playing. Life is all about playing. Is the second cake I will try to have a system mm. and then if that second cake is good but not as good I once again I observe as to why and then I debrief with the team and then I try the third cake and yeah and the and the kind of the process goes on but I yeah I never stop so a leadership question it seems like yeah. you're a very good delegator <laughs> when you're designing your process for how you want to operate one three seven year plan are you thinking about the current seats of the people of the company that you currently have or if you were trying to design the organization are you trying to design positions for to, to get the job done versus the talents and the skills of your current employees huh that's a great question when i plan um our one five and seven year, I do a mix of those things. Okay. So I would um I would write in terms of where I would like to go, what I would like to see and how I like it to operate. And then I share that that plan with our current team. And I ask them where they would see themselves fitting in to, to, to that plan, to helping us achieve that. And then I backfill the gaps. Mm, okay. Okay. And, and in terms of the process of elimination to iron out that plan, it's very difficult to get people on the same page. Are you more of, you know, Hey, this is the direction the company, this is where we're going, or do you allow for some feedback and then to, receive uh different types of opinions and then to eliminate to, to get a, a clear vision how do you yeah oh, um my type of um leadership style kevin is i love a good debate if mm. you ask anybody in our team as i mentioned i don't believe that i am the sellable product i'm the mm. base of the cake Right. And it's everyone else that literally makes it really attractive and really, I guess, sellable. So my way is is definitely more of a, a feedback. I have, and the way that we've worked is we will I'll always ask the team, where do you think we should go? We had to focus on one thing. What do you think that one thing is? And I will go around the table and I would definitely ask for every single person's thoughts, but they have to give the why they believe that that is the suggestive reason. And I'll go and collectively go around and I'll keep going around and I'll start to eliminate the ones that are singly on its own, or I'll go back and get people to debate why they think their idea is better than someone else's idea and why. And we do this intensely for a good half an hour. And then I summarize the commonalities of an idea. And then 
I will then present what I think is the collective. And then I get people to debate more on whether they think that is not the right the response. And if everyone, until everyone uh, unanimously agree, then I love continually to debate that out. You got some serious skills, Lily. Serious, <laughs> uh, bacon skills. Uh, now, becoming clear on that focus is something that's very, very special, uh, especially for a lot of you know younger organizations trying to become clear on that goal to rally everyone together to achieve these goals. How often are you measuring these goals uh, of the company? Do you review them every quarter? Is it every week? And if you're not reaching them, what do you do as a leader uh, to, to refocus your company? Yeah, great question. So our annual goals reviewed formally quarterly. It's reviewed, uh, I guess, non-formally regularly from weekly through to monthly. So monthly as a team, weekly as a team, and then depending on, I guess, um, my scheduled one-on-one -on -one days with different team members, I uh, do a temperature check with them on uh, on a weekly basis individually as well. So um, my my role is pretty much to support their success. Hmm. So um, if they don't succeed, I should be aware of it, uh, you know, a lot earlier um, and rally the team together to be able to get us out of, um, um, I guess, hot water. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You're you're in it for your team members. You're in it for uh, the young ones to be educated, uh, to be whether it's financially independent or just successful, or just to understand the basics to take care of themselves. Uh, it's really inspiring, Lily. And so, you know, you. to wrap this up, let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader? <laughs> um. Okay. So I think for me. Um, a real leader is someone who is humble, uh, someone who loves people. They have to love people. A visionary keeper, um, a concise communicator, a constant student, <laughs> um, someone who have a high sense of awareness, um, who understands the impact of their words and actions, um, and a person who dedicates their time developing others. Mm, powerful. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lily, I appreciate you coming on the show today. I hope you all stick around for a few questions afterward for Lily to stay on. But for Lily Greca, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be a constant student, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Lily. Thank you. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast with Lily Greca. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Now it's time to open it up to a few questions. And Lily, we just had one fly in. And the first one comes from Julie, and she asked this. What advice would you give to young entrepreneurs based on the learnings you figured out? Okay. Young entrepreneurs, I don't know what um, young means, but what I would um, gather is um, my advice. I don't normally give like to give advices, um, Julie, because I don't really know your circumstance. And I feel like if I give you advice without knowing the full 
context of your circumstance, I may not necessarily be giving a good one. Um, sure. But what I would what I would tell you is, in my experience, this is what I have um, I have learnt. I have realised that um, you there is so much value in learning from people you work for huge value and and so when you're working for someone else um you have to learn the, the lessons that i learned is that i learned how people negotiate the the impact that words and action have on um the outcome um because when you take that out to doing your own thing these are lessons that you could um i guess develop further on but the lessons in which you learn when you're working for someone else is, is critical and not to jump out to the thought of being an entrepreneur just for the title or for the sake of it, but because there is a, is a purpose and there's a reason for it. Um, and, you know, when you're working with other people for someone else, you learn the skill of um, interactions and how you deal with your colleagues and how your colleagues deal with other people to get once again the best outcome they're vital skills that will be able to um i guess excel you when you're on your own journey for sure the um the other thing that i would i would i guess share is that what i have learned is is there is i never realized that i wanted to own my own business or be an entrepreneur um, as such, what I wanted was to really make sure that I enjoy everything and that I did, that I gave a thousand percent of myself. Um, and I, yeah, I just lived my life and, and not really have this defined life and have complete control over my own journey. Um, and whether I worked for someone else or I worked for myself, that is a non-negotiable and you know the critical thing is that your there are no limits in this world except for the limits that i so often see people put on themselves it's powerful it's powerful and sage advice as well uh, now lily that seems like that's the last question today for you where can people find more information about me they could go on to our website, which is www.miei.com.au. They could find us on LinkedIn, on Instagram, or on Facebook, and with the same MIEI, um, with the difference of group. But yeah, you'll be able to find me. Wonderful, wonderful. Lily, appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on the Relators Podcast. And always, folks, keep it real. Take care, Lily. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. And before we go today, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched 
our new Reelers membership. If you want to get access to all of Reelers Magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive 20% off a $100 a year subscription. Hit the link in the show notes, enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive access to all of Real Leaders to get you to the next level. Thanks for listening to this episode, and always keep it real.